What is every time these days? I'd be glad when we're not using two mics anymore. Um, what is the most difficult promise or impossible promise you believe that God has ever offered to us? I think if we stopped and contemplated on that for a while, if we had lived before the time of the cross, it might be that there would be a Savior who would come who could redeem man and who would blend all men in one nation and one race and in one people and in one church. But we have witnessed that over the course of history. That, that promise has been made true, and so I don't think that today would fall into that category. The idea that that would be impossible because God has done it. It might seem that it was, but God has accomplished it. I think if it were just us generally speaking, the answer to that question would be something along the lines of this, that God could create a place where there's no pain and no sickness and no death and that we could live there um, once this life is over and be 100% content, satisfied and happy. Maybe that's it. And maybe when we think long-term, that's what we ought to think. If we think about God doing what we deem impossible, and he can do it. But I think sometimes it's the smaller promises that, that, that measure out our walk with him that, that seem the most impossible. We sang this morning about the promise that God said that they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Friends, that sometimes seems like an impossible promise, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That, that, that the things of this life, the things that we endure, that the things that we struggle with won't get us down. They won't burden us under. They will not crush us. Because that's the promise that God gives. That we will be able to make it through. That, that we will be victorious. That we will conquer. In fact, I believe it's, it's rightly said that Every day a Christian lives isn't one more day closer to victory. It's one, one day more lived in victory. We've already been promised and received those things, and yet there are days, maybe weeks, maybe months or years, our existence on this earth, where we see, we see that as almost an impossibility. I think for us, maybe you're not there, but I think for us here at university in this season of life, in this time, that, that promise seems more out of reach than the promise of eternal rest and eternal hope. To know that tomorrow will be better. That we will get stronger. That we will endure these things. That God will bind up the brokenhearted. In addition to our scripture reading read at the beginning of our service from, Exodus, from Ezekiel chapter 34, rather. The Bible is full of reminders that Part of God's purpose and part of God's desire in, in his act on our behalf is to take in and heal the brokenhearted. In Psalm 34 and verse 18, the Bible says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Again in the Psalms, in Psalm 147 and verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 61 
Spirit of the Lord is upon me, in verse 1, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners. Now, I know that we take those passages, and for the most part, we bring them immediately into the spiritual realm. Sin breaks us, sin shatters us, uh, sin enslaves us, and God sent his son that he might redeem us and liberate us and heal our hearts. That's absolutely true. But if you watch the ministry of Jesus unfold, he was someone who took time in addressing the grief and the brokenheartedness and the struggles of living in a world dominated by sin. Where death is on every front page. Where obituaries are written in every generation that the Lord came to that group of people, to us, and said... I'm not just here to save you for eternity. I'm not just here to take you out of this world and take you into another world where there's perfection. But in the time that you live here, I can bind that up. I can heal your hearts. And I can wipe away your tears. That that idea of binding and brokenness is pretty important for our discussion this morning. It's the idea of of, of the, the broken heart in the Old Testament. The word there means literally to shatter into pieces. To break apart. And so the word bind up means to put back together. Now if you think about it from a a, a physical standpoint, in order for a a wound that is opened to heal, that wound has to be brought back together, right? You either have to sew it back or or glue it back or band-aid it back, and then once it's back together and maybe wrapped, then it can heal. God says, I'm I'm determined among my people to take those wounds and those gashes and and those those broken pieces and and shape them and form them and bind them back together. Now, you know what happens with with a cut that's deep enough and a wound that's there long enough? You can bind it together, but the scar remains. The memory of, of what you went through and what you struggled with and what you were suffering from absolutely God didn't promise necessarily to take away in this life the scars, but to bind up the wounds, to close them up, to give us relief from them. Jesus said as he stood in that local synagogue in Luke 4 and read from Isaiah chapter 61, the very words that we read just a moment ago, he then said in verse 21 of Luke 4, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, that's me. I'm the one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord is, and I have come to bind you up, to heal your brokenness, to put you back together. Scars may be there, memories may exist, but I'm there to heal you. Now the question is, who carries on that ministry? Who carries on that responsibility of seeking those who have, whose lives have been shattered into pieces, whose world have been turned upside down, where the gashes have been opened, and then... Binds them back, sets them right, and gives them time to heal. I know that you're all looking at me, but if you all were to look at one another right now, there would your, that would be your answer with me in the mix. That's our job. That's our task. Now, sometimes that's easy to see because in isolation, our church members suffer and struggle. You ever sit back and and watched a family, maybe you've been that family, who just had one thing after another, after another, after another, 
And, and the church rallies around that person and that family because right now that's the family broken. It becomes a, becomes a little more difficult when there are multiple families within the family that are fractured and splintered and broken in pieces that are there. And it takes a concentrated effort for us to be a people who seek to bind the brokenhearted, to heal, to carry on the ministry of Jesus. And this morning I want us to think about that for just a few moments, and I do mean that, just a few, for what our responsibility is. In order to carry on that work, in order to, to bind up those that have been shattered, we're going to have to realize, number one, there is commonality in brokenheartedness. There is commonality in brokenheartedness. I know that there are tears that have been shed over the last few weeks and few months of your life, but those tears, those same types of tears, have been shed by your brothers and sisters all through the years. You don't stand anywhere alone, as lonely as it may feel. You don't. There's a story told about a, about a lady who lost her son in, in infancy. She went to a, 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 an ancient supposed healer and scholar and, and, and philosopher and said, I would ask you to bring my son back to life. And so he said, even though he didn't have the ability to do so, I will. But I need you to do me something first. I need you to go to a home that has no struggles that has never known loss, and bring to me just a few grains of salt from that home. Well, the woman left there optimistic and encouraged. I mean, all she had to do was find salt from a home that was at peace and had comfort and hadn't known loss. And as soon as she found it, her son went back to life. She pursued that journey for the remainder of her adult life, only to realize there wasn't a home like that in the world. I believe it was Socrates who said that if, if we were uh, to take all of our misfortune and pile them up in a heap, take everyone's struggles and difficulties and problems and put them in one big heap this morning, that you and I would be comfortable and satisfied just taking our own back out and going home. Because there's a commonality in brokenness. Every one of us feel it. Tragedy and loss and grief are not respecter of persons or age or race or gender or class. Kings get cancer. Millionaires suffer tragedy. Company owners face misfortune. Every race and every creed will say goodbye to loved ones at a funeral. Stand under a graveside tent. Children will bury their parents and parents their children. The rich and the poor will have troubled marriages. Every one of us will run and be weary. We'll walk and we'll faint because there's a commonality among the brokenhearted. Number two, there is no consistency, however, in brokenheartedness. It's common, but there is no consistency. Maybe you've heard before about those five stages of grief that everyone works through and, and, and moves through as they process the losses in their life. And by the way, grief doesn't just come at the, the bedside of, of a loved one or the graveside of a loved one. It comes in, in many other layers, many other fashions in this life. It, death has invaded our borders lately, but there have been other things to grieve about, losses and separations and difficulties and problems and struggles. And there are generally five ways or five avenues through which we move as we cover 
our, our grief. Number one, you've heard these before, there's denial or shock. The initial stage where, where the reality has set in that it's true, but the inability to acknowledge that. And that leads us to a lack of processing and dealing with it. There's anger, the emotional reaction of, of, of why this happened and, and why it happened to me and why it happened to me now and why it keeps happening to me. There's bargaining. From a spiritual standpoint, many times this, this rears its, its, its head in, in the conversations we have in the privacy of our home, of our bedroom, and our prayer closet. We just wish that God would exchange what we've lost for something else or our grief for something else or our anger for something else. I don't know that we would admit that we do that. Maybe we don't, but it's there. There's the stage of depression where we feel distant and cold and disconnected. Maybe completely overwhelmed, but feeling that way may be necessary to maneuver emotionally through it. And then finally, there's acceptance. Now, we say those, and it's, when you put five things on a piece of paper, sort of like you asked Siri and got directions, and now you know I'm going to move here, and then in two days later I'm going to go here. Listen, you can't calendar the brokenhearted process. In fact, we're, we need to be very careful. I've, I've tried not to include some of this, but I'll include a little bit of it now. Be very careful that we don't expect someone to be somewhere in the process of their brokenness because we think they ought to be there. It's not a week here and a week here, maybe two weeks here. You know, sometimes you'll experience two or three of those stages at one time. Sometimes you'll come out of one and go back to it. Never, never, never struggle through one of them at all. The, the point is that, that we as, as God's people, if we're going to, to help and, and to encourage and to strengthen, we're going to have to realize there is an emotional process that must be processed. But it's not consistent with every person. You know, I was ta- taught as, as a, a preaching student many years ago not to tell someone whose family member was struggling with something, you know, well, well, my grandmother struggled with that, and here's, here's what happened to her. Or my family member had that, and here's what happened to them. Or I knew a guy one time who, who went through that, and here's how he handled that. Now, advice given, prayers offered, absolutely. But the expectation that I saw it happen one way one time, you're going to go through it just like that, friends, it's not helpful. It's not encouraging. It's not reassuring. Realize that in the realm of brokenness, there really is no consistency at all. Now, when you factor in Christianity to that, it brings in a whole new situation. Remember Paul's two letters to the Thessalonians, they seem to be struggling with this idea of the second coming and some believing maybe that they had missed it. And because of that, they had missed out on their loved ones who had departed and never seen them again. So Paul writes throughout both of these letters some advice about how to deal with the separation and the death and the loss and the anticipation of the second coming. He says in chapter 4 of the first letter in verse 13, But we we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. The rest means those outside of Christ. Listen, while there is no no consistency in the grieving process, there is in the church, among God's people, even a different system, a different element. And I would like to say that that makes it all easy, but you know that it doesn't because you've been through it. 
It just makes it different. The knowledge that I have, the understanding that I have, the, the, the experiences that I have in Christ, they do make that process different, but even that different process is not consistent from one congregation to another, from one generation to another, and maybe even from one pew to another as we deal with the difficulties of life. Really, those, those two sort of as the backdrop to this third idea. While there is a commonality and there is no consistency, there is absolutely a community for brokenhearted people in this world. There is. I've often said when we begin our services that not everyone comes to services having experienced the same things throughout the week. We live our lives, we, we have our families, we go to our jobs, we, we deal with the difficulties that we deal with, and then we put all that aside for a moment and we come and we sit in a pew. And we realize maybe the moment we sat down that we didn't leave all that aside. We brought it right in here with us. And it weighs on our hearts and our minds. You ever felt alone in this room? You ever felt alone? I know it's not a testimony or an accusation against the Lord's church. It's, it's the understanding of who we are and where we are. Friends, I want you to know this morning, if you didn't know already, you have a community of people in this room gathered right here who care when you hurt. And you should not go through it alone. Open your Bibles to first or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice the pattern. I, I believe there's a, a strong connection between that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 about not grieving like the world and the pattern that's set here for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, we won't read all of it. We'll begin reading in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort. How many times have we prayed that particular prayer, speaking to the God of all mercy and the God of all comfort? Right? That's, that's how we address him in times of difficulty. Who comforts us in all our afflictions. Notice this, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. So I want you to see the pattern that Paul makes here as he tries to steal the hearts of the Corinthians. He doesn't say to them, now you may can get this as an application, as a continuation, but he doesn't say to them, listen, when I was in trouble, you helped me, and so now that you're in trouble, I'll help you. That, that's obviously, Matthew seven twelve a Christian principle. He says, God's comforted me. And because he's comforted me, I'll comfort you. In fact, Paul's going to talk later in this same book about being marched to death for the sake of his brethren. Paul's not looking in this comforting circle to get something back from them. Now, do you suppose they would offer Paul comfort once he's offered them comfort? I would think they would. But the pattern isn't this circular thought that we just keep building comfort. If that were the case, the church would never suffer or struggle, 
right? We would always have comfort. Listen, we find ourselves in, in, in difficulty. We find ourselves in isolation. We find ourselves over here. And somebody who knows the comfort of Christ says to us, I'll bring his comfort to you. And I'll empty it out on your behalf. And then as Christ continues to comfort me, I will then share that with someone else. And I will share that with someone else. Friends, you, do, you and I do not have it within ourselves. Apart from the help and mercy and grace of God to be a comfort for one another. That's not where the community exists. We talk about having our world and our country and our homes centered around Jesus. How about our churches? Why don't we draw from him that we can share with others? What you give me, great. But it didn't come from anybody else but Jesus himself. That's what Paul says. Christ shared with us. Christ comforted us. And so we will share that with you. You know what that also means? I will never run out of comfort until Jesus does. Now maybe I can understand what it means to run and not be weary. Because it's not within us. It's not within you to keep me going. You don't have to muster the strength for all of us. Things how we picture it sometimes. Listen, we're struggling, so, so you put your arm around me and I'll carry you. And then when I get weak, you'll carry me. Friends, none of us can do that if not for this pattern set forth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's Christ who comforts first. He gives that. Now I can see how every wound that man has ever suffered can be bound up. How every broken heart that's ever been experienced can be be made right and set straight. I know that can happen because Jesus is the source of all of it. He binds up the broken hearts. He just sends me forth with his power. He just sends me forth with his grace. He sends me forth with his compassion. So I think that should help us in a couple of ways. Number one, it should help us to know that when we feel let down by people, maybe they're just on empty. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't tend to, to hide the fact or pretend to hide the fact that we don't always do for one another what we haunt. I think, I'm thankful for the thank you cards and the, and, and the calls and the, and the commendations of the congregation here and, 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 and all the funerals that have been held here in the last several years. That comment has been made. But you know in every one of those cases there are times we dropped the ball. Times we didn't show up. Maybe we didn't know. Maybe we were weary. Maybe we were faint. Because when we are let down by people it just reminds the fact that everyone runs out sometimes. Number two, every one of us can go back to a source of complete and full comfort again. It's not over because I run out. It's not over because I feel alone. Christ has the source. I mentioned to a couple of people that we were going to break away from our series on the Godhead to preach about comfort. And I got to thinking, I probably need to explain that. Is there any more comforting thought in all the world to know that there are three in one who created all things and love all men and acted out a plan of salvation, redeeming man that man might live with him, them forever? Oh, that's comforting. In fact, if it weren't for that all-seeing, all-knowing, all-encompassing, all-powerful God, Christ would eventually run out too. 
but he is eternal. And so his comfort remains the same. Are you brokenhearted this morning? I wouldn't ask for an answer, but I would really like for you to consider that and it not be just a prelude to sing an invitation song. Are you brokenhearted this morning? Are you hurting? Do you struggle? Does it seem impossible today to run and not grow weary? If it does, there is a community of broken-hearted at one-time people wishing to share with you the comfort shared with them. But more importantly, there is the source of all healing and comfort, the God of all mercy and grace, who also wants to share that with you. If you're not a Christian, sin has probably broken you. Become a Christian this morning. It's the greatest peace and comfort you'll ever know. It will make all of these other things bearable and livable until a time when we can escape. And he can renew. If you are a Christian. And you entered into that relationship with the Lord believing that it would mean the end of suffering. Then you've probably been surprised in your life. And maybe even discouraged. Don't carry that home. Share that, that we might help you, that he might heal you. If you have need, come while we stand and sing.